second time good morning uh, thanks for coming out it would have been lonely without you so thank you for making the effort uh, once upon a time uh, there were two camels who were having a chat um, a dad camel and his son and uh, the son said to his dad he said dad can I ask you a question why do we have these big feet on the end of our legs and the dad camel said, well, son, that's so that when we're walking through the desert, our feet splay out and we can walk across the sand without sinking in. And the son said, oh, okay. He said, dad, um, why, why have we got these big teeth in our mouths? And the dad said, well, that's so that when we come to an oasis in the desert, we can eat the vegetation. The vegetation is quite tough, but we can chew it and we can maximize the amount of nutrition in the vegetation because of our big teeth. And the son said, uh, oh, okay, I never knew that. He said, Dad, why have we got this hump on our back? And he said, well, son, that's so that when we come to an oasis in the desert, we can actually eat lots of food, drink lots of water, store it in our hump, and then we can travel through the desert for days, even weeks, without needing to eat or drink anything. And the son said, oh, thanks for that, Dad. Can I ask you one more question? Yeah, sure. What are we doing here in Bristol Zoo? <laughs> now, <laughs> thanks for laughing. The, the Bible says... The Bible says that God has given us, if we're, if we're followers of Jesus, if we have said a big yes to Jesus and welcomed him into our lives, the Bible says God has given us everything that we need for life and for godliness. Yeah, We've got everything we need through Christ. And yet the really strange thing is that so often what we do is we've locked up all that God has invested into us, we've locked it all up in the zoo. For zoo, read church. How many of you know that some churches look like a zoo? All sorts of strange creatures in there. But you're beautiful, you guys. <laughs> now, um, Nigel asked me to fit in with this series that you've been doing recently about what the Bible says in particular about sharing, about sharing our faith. So that's where I want to go in the next few minutes. Because here's the deal. When you have good news, it should be the most natural thing in the world to, to want to share good news. Isn't that right? I remember a few years ago, um, our uh, granddaughter was born in Derby. Derby is in the East Midlands. It's otherwise known as the New Jerusalem. It's a wonderful city. Anybody ever been to Derby? Yeah, I can tell you're a blessed man. Blessed man. <laughs> and, um, and we live, we now live in Worcestershire. So our daughter, it all happened very quickly. And, and our, our, our granddaughter was born in Derby. So we are um, zooming up to Derby to meet our new granddaughter. Uh, we wish we'd have been there a bit earlier, but it all happened so fast. And as we're driving up there, I needed a coffee. So uh, we went into one of these drive-through McDonald's places, you know? You, you know what I mean? Yeah, you've got those in Barry, I'm sure. And uh, we drove up, and there's the hole in the wall. So I stopped the car, wound down the window, and, and there's the assistant standing there. He was aged about, about nine. 
And uh, he said, uh, yeah. And I said, good morning, how are you? He said, oh, I'm all right. I said, uh, it's a great day, isn't it? Isn't it a fantastic day? I said, you're never going to guess what's happened. You'll never guess. He said, I, I, I don't know. I said, see her, Rose Gibbs, my granddaughter, has just been born in Derby. So me, and this is my wife Sally, hello, we're on our way up to Derby to meet our new granddaughter. Isn't that fantastic? He went, what do you want? <laughs> I said, I'll have a large latte, please, £1.89, thank you very much. And he didn't seem very excited about the fact that Sia had been born. I didn't care. I was going to tell him anyway, you know, because that was good news. That's the way it works. Now, most of you will know that the word uh, gospel that we read in the New Testament literally means good news, isn't it? We have got good news, amazing news, remarkable news. Here's the big word, ready for this, scintillating news for people in this part of the world. So we can't afford to be men and women who simply lock that up within ourselves or within our Christian community when there are so many people out there who are without hope and without God in this world. Amen? So um, that's where we're going this morning. If, you, if you've got a Bible uh, or if you've got a device with it on, uh, I want to turn to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 9. It may actually come up on the... You're ahead of me, guys. You're doing great. Matthew chapter 9, and we're going to read from verse 35. These words, words that you know very well, I'm sure. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35, says this. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news, there it is, the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. How many of you know that in 2,000 years, nothing's changed? The harvest in this part of Wales is plentiful. Now, you could be forgiven for thinking that that's not the case, but there are people all around us who need to know that there's a God in heaven who loves them and has done everything necessary to rescue them and to turn their, their lives around. The harvest is plentiful. The problem, the challenge, has never been with the harvest. It's always been there. What's the challenge? What's the problem? The workers are few. And it's a really weird thing, but probably more now in the 21st century than at any time in the history of the church, this is a big deal. Because it's possible, particularly in the Western world, to think that you can actually be a Christian and not be a worker, not be a laborer in the harvest field. Now, the New Testament knows nothing about that. 
And at the best times in the life of the Christian church over 2,000 years, they have not understood that either because they've realized that to be a Christian, or if I can fine-tune that, to be a disciple of Jesus makes you a worker in the harvest field. So nothing's changed in 2,000 years. The harvest was plentiful then, it's plentiful now. And so Jesus says to them, ask the Lord of the harvest therefore to send out workers into his harvest field. Now that phrase, send out, is a really powerful little phrase. It comes from the same word that's used in the New Testament for casting out demons. It's like Jesus is saying to them, listen guys, ask the Lord to, um, to catapult out, to, to kick out workers into the harvest field. It's a really sort of aggressive sort of term. Yeah, It's not, you know, how many of you know that God is not primarily an English person? Hallelujah. You know, it's not like God says, uh, excuse me, if you have a moment, please may you go into the harvest field and maybe share a little bit of good news with people. No, no, God says, come on, come on, I'm sending you out into the harvest field. Now, uh, just imagine, yeah, he's getting excited. So listen, imagine for a moment, imagine with me that you had been there on this occasion. Jesus, imagine that you were one of those disciples, and Jesus has just said to you, listen, the harvest is plentiful, the work is a few, so ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers. Question, what would be the very next thing that you would do if you were an obedient disciple? What, what did he say? No, 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 the last thing. Ask, yeah. He said, ask the Lord of the harvest. So you'd pray, wouldn't you? You'd go away and you'd pray. And uh, you'd, you'd go like this and you would say, oh, Lord of the harvest, please send out workers into the harvest field. Is that right? That's what he asked you to do. Yeah. Now, this is what I love about the Lord. When this was written, you know there were no chapter divisions when it was written. They came later. They're not the inspired bit. All right. So if you have a Bible there or a device, just go forward a little bit into Matthew chapter 10, because we're at the end of Matthew 9 here, and you'll see that we have a list of who the disciples are. But the very next words that you read of any significance after that is chapter 10, verse 5, where you read these five words. These 12, which 12? The 12 who were doing what? Pray, O Lord of the harvest, send out workers. Yeah, These 12, Jesus sent out. Ha, got you. <laughs> the very people who were praying for workers in the harvest field were the workers. Yeah? Now, here's, um, here's a, little, um, a, a little snippet of something that we, we don't have time to go into this morning, really. But here's the deal. Something like 90% of the time, I guess, we are the answer to our own prayers. 90% of the time, we are the answer to our own prayers. So we pray like this. Lord, please save my next door neighbor. They're on the other side of this wall here as I'm praying in my front room. Lord, save my next door neighbor. Lord, I don't know their name. We've only said hello once or twice in 27 years. But Lord, save my neighbor. Well, how's that going to happen? 
I mean, do you think that eventually God is going to get so frustrated with, with us that he's going to float down some evangelistic booklet onto their front door and they're going to open the door, pick it up, read the gospel and get saved that way? No, no. God usually, in the, in the Bible, right the way through the Bible, God usually wraps his message up in a body. Supremely, of course, in the person of Jesus, the Word. But he's still doing that today. He wraps his word up in a body. That's you, that's me, yeah? With the answer to our own prayers. So, here's the question this morning. What needs to happen in us, and I say us, not you, us, because I'm always preaching this sort of thing to myself to remind me. What needs to happen to us if we are going to be those sort of workers? If we're going to be sent out into the world? Let me uh, mention three, maybe four things. Let's see how we go with time. The first thing I want to talk about is this. We've got to be the sort of people who have compassion for those who are lost, for those who are harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Have compassion for people. Now, when, when Matthew writes that when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, the, the word that's used there, it, it's like, it means that Jesus felt this this gut-wrenching ache inside. When he saw these people who were so lost, so far away from God, it was almost like it was too much for him inside, this gut-wrenching emotion. So here's the challenge for us. How do we feel when we see the crowds? When you're around town or, you know, shopping or wherever you might be at some big sports event... How do you feel when you see the crowds? If I'm really honest, most of the time I don't feel anything. I'm just getting on with my life. Anybody else? But if only I could see past that facade, if only I could see deeper and see people the way that Jesus sees them, sees them with Jesus-type glasses on, everything would change. Because if I see people the way that Jesus sees them, I'll end up feeling the way that Jesus feels about them. Do you see that? Rather than just feeling neutral about it. In fact, the danger is that if we don't look at the people around us, whether that be our our neighbors, our work colleagues, our our friends, um, people that we bump into from time to time, if we don't see them the way that Jesus sees them, we can actually end up not simply feeling neutral about them, we can actually sometimes end up feeling cynical about people. So um, some time ago I was in the town of Reading. Reading is just west of London. That's where my wife's family are from. And uh, we, I'd been out in town, and I was due to meet my wife, Sally, in town. And I was walking to the point where we were going to meet. And there was a bunch of uh, teenage lads um, in the shopping center, or just outside the shopping center, uh, drinking cans of beer. There's about eight of them just drinking cans of beer. And, uh, and I noticed that when they were finishing the cans, they were just throwing these cans on the floor. You know, and there's sort of uh, fast food wrappers all around them as well as they'd finished eating food. Now, I don't know about you, but that thing really gets to me. You know, it really gets to me. So uh, as I'm walking past them, I eyeball them. I look at them. And one of them, who was about, about five foot five and, and probably about eight stone wet, 
He looked at me and he said, uh, you got a problem, mate. <laughs> now, here's the, here's, the, here's the problem. Here's the problem. I'm 65, but inside I still think I'm 22. <laughs> and before I was following Jesus, I was a, a naughty boy in all sorts of ways. So I thought, yeah, I've got a problem. <laughs> and, uh, and then discretion got the better of valor. <laughs> and I carried on walking. But as I walked past them, I was steaming. Steaming angry inside about these, these lads who were just messing up the place. And, um, you know, and I felt the Lord just whisper into my heart and say, um, do you think that's how I feel about them? Do you think that's how I feel about those lads? Wow. You see, there's always a reason, isn't there? There's always a reason behind that. But when you just look at the outside, you can become Mr. Angry from Worcestershire, if you're not careful, rather than someone who's filled with the compassion of Jesus. Now, here's the thing. Whenever you read in the Bible, in the, in the Gospels, that Jesus had compassion, it always meant he was going to do something, something good, something redemptive for people. So maybe we need to be those sort of women and men who are saying, Lord, fill me with your compassion. Pour your love, Romans 5. Pour your love into my heart more and more that it's your love that flows out from me. Because if it's just human compassion or human love that's at work, we're always going to be running out of that. But when it's the extravagant love of God poured into our hearts and poured out from our hearts, then everything becomes different. And even how we view people becomes different. So, so God help us. Help us to have compassion for the, those people around us that causes us to act. The second um, foundation that I wanted to mention this morning and what the Bible suggests about sharing good news is this, that if we're going to be good news people, if we're going to be those who share our gospel with people, we have to find our security individually, we have to find our security in God. In God. Question, what's the number one reason, can anybody tell me, what's the number one reason why Christians find it difficult to share their faith? Every time, fear. 95% of the time, that's the main reason. Fear of being rejected, fear of being misunderstood uh, or, or misrepresented in, in some way. That's the reason uh, why we stop. Because whenever you have fear in your life, it paralyzes you in that particular area. So listen to these words of the Apostle Paul. This is Romans 8. Okay, we're not just staying in Matthew 9 because it says, what does the Bible <laughs> tell us? So we're going to just jump around to one or two things. Romans chapter 8, verse 15. Um, Romans chapter 8, by the way, is probably my favorite chapter in the whole Bible. Uh, it was also the favorite chapter of a man called John Wesley. Heard of him? Fourth member of the Trinity? Yeah, okay. And uh, this is what he writes, John, uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 15. He says to these Christians, he said, You did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear. He's talking about when they, when they gave their lives to Jesus. You did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship or the spirit of adoption. And by him we cry, come on, 
Abba, Father. Abba, Father. Now, that particular word, Abba, really interesting word. It has two meanings. First of all, it's the name of a 1970s Swedish rock group, pop group, that sang Waterloo in the Eurovision, and, uh, and they did quite well. But that's not where we're going this morning. Uh, most of you will know this, I'm sure, but uh, in Jewish culture at the time, and I guess still today, the word Abba, what did it mean? What's the nearest equivalent in English? Daddy, yeah? It's like daddy is probably the nearest, it doesn't quite do it, but the nearest we can get to it in English would be the word daddy. But it was so much more powerful, that word Abba, than even our word daddy. So I've got three kids and, uh, and six grandkids. Um, how many of you know that grandkids are God's gift to you for not killing your kids? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And um, so my three kids, when they were small, they used to call me daddy. Okay? Now that they're adults married with their own families, they don't call me daddy anymore. Okay, they call me all sorts of other names. <laughs> uh, in fact, my daughter, I've got two sons and one daughter. My daughter, occasionally she does come on the phone and she calls me daddy. And then I get scared. Do you know why? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's going to cost me. I just know it's going to cost me. Yeah. But here's the difference. A Jewish child would call their father Abba. But when that child grew up into adulthood they would still call their father Abba, okay? The word never changed. And it's a word that's absolutely, absolutely impregnated with, with meaning. It's saying, Dad, I know that you are for me. I know that you love me. I know that you like me. I know that you're on my side. You're kind. You're generous. You are my Abba. Amen. That's what the word meant. And Paul says that when we, the Apostle Paul says in this writing, that when we say yes to Jesus, when we invite the Lord Jesus to come and be our, our rescuer and our leader of our lives, something happens deep inside and God becomes our Abba. Or in the words of John in John chapter 1, it says to all who uh, received Jesus, welcomed Jesus, to all who believed in him, put their trust in him, he gave them the right to become the children of God. Yeah? To know that God is their Abba. But I want to say this to you. There is a difference, isn't there, between knowing the truth and knowing the truth of the truth. Okay? There's a difference between knowing the truth and knowing the truth of the truth. So you may be here this morning and you could say to me, Gary, um, X years ago or months ago, I gave my life to Jesus Christ and therefore God is now my Father in heaven, our Father in heaven, yeah? The Bible says it, I believe it, that settles it. Not good enough. Not good enough. Because if that's all we have, what we have is the truth, doctrinally, yeah, biblically, God is our Abba because we gave our life to Jesus. But God wants you and me to live it experientially in the truth of the truth. Let me just, uh, some of you are looking at me as if I'm speaking Swahili, so let me try and help you. So um, how many of you know 
that um, water is wet. Yeah? All in favour say aye. Yeah. So we know the water is wet. But imagine, imagine, oh, we haven't gone in, it's a shame. But imagine, no, it's okay, mate, you, you don't want to tell me. Imagine I had a glass of water here now, and I came up to Pastor Nigel, and I poured it over his, oh, that would have been fun, wouldn't it? <laughs> and I poured it over, I wouldn't have done that to you, mate, because I do love you. But imagine I poured it over his head. What's the difference between you believing that water is wet and Nigel's situation? The difference is this, you know the truth, he knows the truth of the truth. Because he is experiencing the wetness of water. Get it? Now, that's where God wants us to live our lives, where we know that we know that we are, be, we are being abbed by God. Yeah? Abbed by God, that we're living in that experience of his fatherly love and care for us. Because when that's the case, we have a security and a safety inside that means, hey, I can share my good news with people because even worst case scenario, even if they laugh, even if they reject me, even if they push me away, that's, I mean, we don't want that because you'd be weird if you wanted that. But even if it happened, I'm still secure in my relationship with God. And knowing that I'm loved in spite of everything. Amen? So we have to find our security in God. Now, this is an ongoing process. Listen, my name is Gary and I am insecure. Anybody else? Raise your hand. Okay. The fact that you didn't raise your hand says you're insecure. Right? Yeah. Yeah. If you don't raise your hand, it shows you're insecure. I don't want to raise my hand. I don't want anybody thinking that about me. See, that's the way it works. And we're all insecure to a greater or lesser degree. So we have to keep coming back to that place. That place, that, that, that fountain of giving love, which is what the Father does for us. Amen. Filling our hearts again so out of that we can give. Finding our security in God. Then we'll be able to share our good news. How's it going, mate? What do you think so far? Are we okay? Good. Right. Let me just, uh, let me just give you one more because our time's really up. Um, if we're going to be people who share our faith, number three, we have to know what it is to live in the fullness of the Spirit. This is a Pentecostal church, is that right? Okay. So I'm, 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 I'm preaching to the choir, right? We have to live in the fullness of the Spirit. So... So the risen Lord Jesus says to his disciples, just before he ascends to heaven, he gives them this promise. He says, you shall receive power, power, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, when, when you are filled, when you are baptized, when you are soaked, when you are saturated with the life of God and the person of the Spirit, you shall receive power power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and then you will have charismatic goosebumps running up and down your spine he said you ever read this book huh? and then he said you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem Judea Samaria Christchurch <laughs> wherever you go those guys are off to New Zealand wherever you go 
you'll be my witnesses. Amen. To the ends of the earth. So I wonder what your experience is this morning of the work of the Holy Spirit in your heart. You see, it's possible for you or me to know that we've been forgiven by Jesus. We've been celebrating that this morning as we've had communion. It's possible to know that you've been forgiven, but never to have been filled. It's possible to have been saved, but never to have been saturated by the Holy Spirit. So I want to ask you this morning, friend to friend, has there ever been a time when you've known what it is to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Or in the words of Jesus, to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, to be drenched, to be soaked, to be overflowing? And then, if the answer to that question is yes, here's the thing. The question then is not, have I been filled? The question is, am I full? Not, have I been filled? Some historical event. But am I full? And am I living in that fullness now? I used to have an illustration that I used for years about what it meant to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I I stole it from somewhere. Uh, Just simple thing. Imagine that you're back to the glass of water. Imagine you're a glass... And imagine that there's a bit of water in the bottom of the glass. That's like what happens when you become a Christian, okay? Because the water represents the Holy Spirit, yeah? And there's water in the glass, but it's not filling the glass. But when you get baptized in the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit, it's like this glass being filled up to the very brim with water. And maybe even a little bit trickling down the sides. Woohoo! And one day I was praying... And I felt the Lord say to me, um, hey, you know that uh, illustration you use about me filling people with my spirit? Yes, Lord, it's rubbish. (laughs) And uh, I don't know how God speaks to you. He speaks to me like that sometimes. And I said, "Um, okay, Lord, uh, why? He said, it's it's too static. Nothing's happening. And I said, "Um, okay, Lord, could you give me another illustration? Because I'm a preacher. (laughs) And so here's, what, here's the picture that came into my mind. Forget being a glass. You're not a glass, okay? Imagine instead that you are a hose pipe, okay? Long, thin, green. Some of you are going to find that easier than others, aren't you? Okay. And here's what happens. When we become followers of Jesus, when we say that first big yes to following Jesus, it's almost like we get attached to the tap and the tap's turned on a little bit. And there's a trickle of water that goes through the hose pipe, yeah? And at the far end of the hose pipe, which is called a, begins with n and ends in ozzle. Nozzle, that's right. At the far end of the hose pipe, something's happening. It's going drip, 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 okay? Now, it's not great, but it's something, right? But when we get filled with the Holy Spirit, it's like Jesus gets hold of the tap, and he goes, na 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 and he turns it on full blast so that the water gushes out of the tap, it fills the whole capacity of the hose pipe, and at the nozzle end, it's not going drip, 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 it is going whoosh. Now, it seems to me that is a better picture of what it means to be living in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Because when you read the New Testament, and particular 
books like Acts of the Apostles, you find that when those followers of Jesus were filled with the Holy Spirit, stuff happened. Stuff happened. People listened to them and got saved or they got persecuted, one or the other. Okay? I mean, that just seems to be the way it is. So Jesus said these words. John chapter 7, he was at this feast. And he said, if anyone is thirsty, come to me and drink. And John said, by this, Jesus meant the Spirit, that those who believed in him were later to receive. And Jesus said, uh, he who believes in me, out of his innermost being will flow rivers, rivers of living water. Now, friends, that is what evangelism boils down to. Rivers of living water. A very famous evangelist who's with the Lord now, but he would have been one of our heroes, a man called Michael Green. He said, if you want to sum up evangelism in one word, the word is overflow. Overflow. That's what it is. It's being so filled up with the presence and the power and the person of God that he flows out of your life. Rivers of living water flowing out into the spiritual desert around us and bringing irrigation to people, bringing them to life. Amen. You see, being a, being a witness for Jesus is not about you just saying, right, whoo, I've got to try harder. Come on, let's do it, let's do it. You'll have a breakdown. But it's been open at one end to the Lord and open at the other end to the people around us and, and becoming a, 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 a conduit, a hose pipe for the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Jesus to flow into and out of. Living water. Amen? Now that's what he wants for us. And here's the great thing. That you don't have to be all mature and holy to be used by God. Isn't that an encouragement to Nigel? <laughs> and me, mate. I mean, it's, it's good that we do grow in holiness and maturity, but God takes us as we are, and he's so desperate that people out there find him, he'll use little you and little me, yeah, if we are open to him. So that's the deal uh, today. We could, do you know what? We could say so much more about what the Bible says about sharing our faith. But they're the things I wanted to share with you this morning. Number one, let's be those sort of people who ask the Lord to fill our hearts with compassion for people around us and let that compassion move us into action. Let's be those who come to the Lord and say, God, I want to know you as my Abba, as my Father. I, even though I'm a Christian, I don't want to live my life as if I'm a spiritual orphan. I want to know that I know that you're my heavenly dad because that's going to make me secure. That's where I'm going to find my identity. And then finally, to live in the fullness of the Spirit day by day. Do not get drunk with wine, says Paul. Keep being filled with the Spirit. Keep being filled with the Spirit. Keep being open to Him and open to the people around you and see what can happen. What we're going to do is this. We're going to sing a worship. We've got time for a worship song tonight. And um, I think I'd like to uh, invite you this morning to respond uh, publicly, to, uh, if you feel like 
even through the, uh, you know, the, the words of a human being, if you feel like God has said something into your situation this morning, I think it's always good to respond, isn't it? It's almost like we seal something with the Lord. So quite simply, what I'm going to ask you to do is if you feel there's something you've heard this morning, you think, yeah, I really need to do something about that and really need to respond to that. I'm going to ask you as we begin to sing right at the beginning of this song to just come and stand at the front. What, what we're not going to do is we're not going to pray for each one of you individually. Okay, we don't need to do that because God sees our hearts. He knows what, 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 what we want. But it's almost like we take a step and we say, Lord, here I am. And I really need more of you if I'm going to live this earthly life. If I'm really going to be the person you want me to be. So we stand here and then it would be my privilege just to pray a prayer of blessing over you. A prayer of asking the Holy Spirit to come and touch you and do whatever he needs to do in your life this morning. Does that make sense? So as soon as we stand and start to sing, please don't wait until we've sung the 54th worship song, because we'll be gone. <laughs> uh, but as soon as we start to sing, if you need to respond, come forwards, make a line across the front, and we'll pray for God's blessing and help on us this morning. Amen.